Shall we pray? Loving Father, again, we are thankful for all that you have done and what you're doing. We thank you how you have been building us up from the early morning prayer meeting and all the workshops and the programs that we've had through the day. And even now, Lord, as we come for our evening manna, we ask that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary, that you would bring light from glory, that you would touch our hearts and minds, that you would make us new, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might truly be the men, women, boys, and girls that you need in this last day and time. Even now, bless us with your presence. Let angels fill this place. Transform this room into the very atmosphere of heaven and all the places where people are listening and watching online is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. The theme, we've already understood it. We've heard it over and over again, making God known. Making God known is nothing more than the grand, great commission that has been given by Jesus to all of us to go ye. We saw from opening night, Mark 16, verse 15, that we are to take the gospel into all the world, to every creature. We saw that in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it told us not only to go, but to go and teach and then baptize, which means the teaching that we do must be a teaching that it is not just giving away information or just giving them doctrine, but a teaching that gives them an understanding of our loving Savior, of our compassionate God. We are to allow them to see this God in us who we are talking about. We are not to teach with an arrogant or superiority complex that we have sometimes as Seventh-day Adventists. We think other people don't know anything. We think sometimes other people don't know God. Some of us only think Adventists are going to be saved. And that's arrogant, it's proud, it's foolish, and it's sinful. Because what we do is we, we, we put up barriers and we cause men and women, boys and girls who would come to Jesus, who are really seeking, we cause barriers from them to understanding the plain thus saith of the Lord. So when we teach, we must teach with the power of the Holy Spirit that it will enable us to bring the message in a correct way. When you look at the book of John, John chapter 14, John 14, it tells us that if we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, this same Holy Spirit, the full-fledged member of the Godhead, will give you and I what we need to be able to teach what God wants us to teach. It says in John 14, verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So have you ever had the experience, <clears throat> excuse me, where you are speaking to someone, witnessing to someone, letting your light shine to someone, and as you are speaking to them prayerfully, giving them these, these nuggets, these gems of life and truth, all of a sudden, these scriptures start coming to your mind, and they're right. And it's in the right book, and it's the right verse, and, and you just go through all of that study, and the people are there, and they're spellbound. You can see that something's happening. And when you finish it, you don't even remember all that you said. You try to find that scripture, we'll be back to the um group, um, um, um. 
but you know that it was done not by you, not by me, but by the Holy Spirit bringing up what we have put in our minds to use it at that very instant that it's needed. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, we have to have a background in studying the Word of God. We have to know what is in it. We have to put things into the computer so the Holy Ghost can bring it back up when it's needed. Teaching them to a point of not just giving knowledge, but to bring them to a point of decision that they will say, yes, I want this same Jesus. I want this same peace. I want what you have. I want that home and glory. I want that crown that God has for the righteous. I want to live forever. I want him to be the one who will fight for me and stand by my side. I want him to protect my family. Yes, I want that Jesus who has forgiven my sins. That's what the gospel does. All of these things are encompassed in having a relationship with Christ. In Luke 24, and we looked at that in verse 45 through 48, but in 45 it says, he opened up their understanding. How did Jesus do that? We said it, this is review. He gave us the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1 verse 8, it tells us that he gave power that they might go into all the world, and that same power is our power. The power that gives us the ability to witness. The power that gives us the ability to live a spiritual life. Folks, you cannot live a holy, pure, spiritual life without the Holy Spirit. You might modify your behavior. You might Act like a Christian, and we talked about that last night. And some of us are good at acting like Christians. If they were given Emmys for that or Oscars for that, we'd have closets full, especially on Sabbath when we have our best, best, best performances. How are you? Fine. Happy Sabbath. Fine. You look so good. Ha. Huh? You sing so nice. And then you get home at the dinner table after you work on every single body in the church, and then you get to the pastor. Now, don't count this the sermon time. This is a tip. How many love your children? Let me see your hands. You love your children. Raise your hands high. You love your children. I mean, this is not a trick question. If you love your children, don't sit at Sabbath supper, dinner, lunch, and talk about the pastor. Don't tear down the spiritual leadership of your church. Don't talk about the problems with the deacons and the elders, and if you got a slippery finger, treasurer. I know you don't have those in England. It may be going on. The folks that keep singing the duet in the choir when they're married to some other folk. Don't sit at the table. Don't let your children hear you saying all of those things about the people in the church and the administration of the church and the leadership in the church because as you are tearing down the church, you are tearing down their confidence in the church and they will want no part of it. And then when your child goes buck wild crazy, you go to that same pastor, you go to those same elders, those same people, and you tell them to talk to them them, and when they come to those children, those children will spit those things that you said back in the face of that leadership or say, I want nothing to do with the whole hypocrisy. 
Now let's get back to the sermon. That wasn't sermon time, so you can put that somewhere else. Teaching them, ladies and gentlemen, to live a holy life, that's what the Holy Spirit does. So it gives us the power to witness. It gives us the power to live a holy life. It gives us the ability to understand scriptures, to give us a spiritual mind. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. There's some people that have a lot of knowledge, but they have no wisdom. There's a little thing I said, I put it on my Facebook, it really made me laugh. And somebody said it, and I just took it and pasted it up. It says, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. How many knew that? I know you all know that. <laughs> a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in fruit salad. <laughs> the knowledge says it's a fruit, but you don't put it in fruit salad. You don't put a tomato with grapefruit and cantaloupe and it just as my first I'll even say in my first church he was from Trinidad Tobago and he used to say and I'm from the Tobago the little island he said it can't work <laughs> it gives us spiritual discernment the Holy Spirit does that so we can understand spiritual things it gives us the power to have holy affections and folks we need holy affections a desire for spiritual things, a desire to be like Christ, a desire to surrender ourselves. When we see the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to us, that is needed for us to make God known, not only to others, but to ourselves and to our families, ladies and gentlemen, that promise to do the work of witnessing, it is something that we should be praying for. And I said that the first night, for the power of the latter rain. Folks, if you would turn in your Bible quickly to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, there's something here that it just amazes me. Acts 5, verse 12. It says, by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest does no man join himself to them, but the people magnifying them. And the believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Now here's the one. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, and they laid hands, and they laid them on beds and on couches, that at the least, at the least, what word does it say? At the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folk and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. The Holy Spirit filled the disciples, the apostles, so much so to meet the needs of the people that as the people were laid out in the street now, as the people were laid out in the street, Jesus said, greater Miracles that I have done, you will do. As Peter walked by and his shadow was on folks, if all these sick folk were here on this front row and my shadow passed over them, as Peter walked past, they were healed by Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost through their faith. Now, folks, we look at that and we say, oh, boy, that was Jesus' time. That was a miracle. We, 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 hello, hallelujah. But we're not praying for it, but we ought to be. Let me give you this quote from Christ's Object Lessons. 
It says, these scenes are to be repeated with greater power. Oh, no, you all should have jumped up and spinned around and sat back down for that. These scenes will be repeated with greater power, greater power than the saints of God filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the anointing, filled with a desire to see heaven as their home and their Savior face to face again. The thing that drove them, ladies and gentlemen, the thing that was driving them to be faithful and not to, to, to become lackadaisical, and folks, you know and I know that when we first came in the church, many of us were more on fire then than we are now. When we first came in, you couldn't shut us up. Now, we just go home after church for lay activities. But they were driven by one thing, and what were they driven by? They were driven to see his face once again. They felt a need. They felt a desire. They wanted to be in his presence. It's a wonderful thing to be in the presence of God. He promised them those things. Their faith held on to those promises. Ellen White says in her commentary on Hebrews 1.1, it says the Christian sees themselves in possession of the things that have been promised to them. A home and glory land, a mansion that is there, golden streets and jasper walls and gates of pearl, it's there. A river of life, a tree of life with leaves that are there for the healing of the nations. It's real. They know it. They've seen him. They saw his works. They watched him walk. They watched him work. They saw him command demons and command weather. They know he's real. They watched him go up in the clouds so much so that the angel said, hey, guys, we want to join the parade too. Will you get busy so you can bring them back? That was a Dorsey paraphrase. Somebody said, well, what version did he use with that? They were driven by the desire to see his face. And, folks, some of us are too comfortable here. We're happy with what we have. We try to do our little work and all, and it shouldn't be a little work. It's a great work. We can speed up the coming of the Christ, for he says this gospel must go into all the world as a witness, making him known. It says greater work than these shall be done, and with greater power. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the former rain, but the latter rain will be more abundant. Folks, you and I have a date with destiny. It's time to arise and shine. Do we understand what happens when the church clicks into full gear and we have the latter rain? When we are imbued with the power of the latter rain, then we will make the loud cry. And as the loud cry goes forth, ladies and gentlemen, calling men, women, boys, and girls to get right with God and to come and join this people who keep the commandments of God and has the faith of Jesus Christ, as this latter rain comes down and this loud cry goes out, oh, yes, there'll be a negative side, but it'll turn out to be a good side. Persecution will spring up, and we know that's going to happen because we're in the early time of trouble that has been intensifying since 1844. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 8, he says, these things are just the beginning of sorrows. It's just the beginning. It's going to get worse. We haven't seen anything yet, but as that's going on, and as we saw last night, it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Even though there's trouble, let it come on, because we have Jesus by our side. 
And as it multiplies and as it intensifies, ladies and gentlemen, that loud cry will produce fruit. It will show who is what they really are. For the loud cry, when we look at it in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, it will produce a shaking and it will produce a sealing. Anything that can be shaken will be shaken. If your anchor is not anchored in Jesus Christ, you're going to go out. If your relationship hasn't been built on him on a sunny day, how are you going to stay with him on the rainy days? If you have not learned to trust him in the storm, to say like Job when we looked at yesterday, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. How are you going to stand up when the persecution comes, when the countries of this world band together with a universal decree to try to eliminate us from off the very planet? If we can't even bring our bodies into subjection with a health message that we have seen gives us 10 to 12 years more life and we've been in the church for many more years than that and we're still doing our own thing. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just telling you the truth. If we can't say no to food because we like it, because it tastes good. Some of us have turned some folks in for a Burger King. It'll cause mumbling and grumbling, and you don't have control of yourself. And whatever can be shaken will be shaken, but folks, whoever can be sealed will be sealed into the day of redemption. For it tells us in Ephesians 4 verse 30, it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby we are sealed until the day of redemption. And that will take us to the time of trouble, which will be a time that this world has never seen. And when Jesus will stand up, and that's when everybody's set, Revelation 22, verse 11, it says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And then it's set, and we will wait for the king to come. But it can't get started until Revelation 18, 1 through 5 takes place when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when the church finally wakes up, when we realize the power that we have. Folks, we're a sleeping giant. The devil is loving it when we fight with ourselves over theology and over who should be ordained and who shouldn't be ordained. He loves when we fight about music. He loves when the older members of the church are fighting with the younger members of the church and they're having all of these conflicts. He loves that because we're not concentrating on him. He's the enemy. He loves when the churches are going against the pastor and the pastor against the churches and the pastors against the conference and the conference fighting with the, with, the, with, the, with the pastors. I know it doesn't happen here. You have a wonderful president. But in some places, it's going on. The devil loves that. He loves confusion. He's the author of confusion. He's the father of lies. But when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, we shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and you will know that our mission, you will know that our desire, you will know that your destiny is a destiny with the King, and that he has bought us here. Folks, think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it. We could have been born 
at any other time in Earth's history. We could have been born in any other time in Earth's history. We could have been some of the folks that were giving Moses a headache. We could have been in the times of slavery where, where the folks during those 400 years, they didn't even know when the salvation was going to come. We could have been born in the days of the kings or in the days of the prophets when everybody did what's right in his own sight. And we have a lot of that going on now. But folks, we are born in the most glorious time in earth's history. Folks, some of us may never even die. We're that close. We're in the tippy toes of Daniel. We're the last church Laodicea. All the major signs of prophecy have taken place already. We are right there where we are waiting for the Lord to come. He is just holding back. We're at the end of the 6,000 years where the spirit of prophecy tells us at the end of the 6,000 years, the controversy between Christ and Satan will end. And we are here. And heaven is watching. And they are waiting, and angels are all geared up, waiting for us to come down from the mountaintop on fire, waiting for us to learn how to sacrifice. What a sacrifice? Sacrifice is giving up something for something better. Moses was born as a Hebrew, but he was placed in the palace, and he could have lived with the pleasures of the palace, but it tells us in the record of Hebrew 11 that he gave up the pleasures of sin for a season. You know, it's so funny. Some things you could never get me to do that maybe I used to do, but you couldn't get me to do now. You couldn't get me to gamble. First of all, I hate to lose, so gambling is not for me. But just for, just, just to, to say, if I bought a lottery ticket, here's how I know it would work with me. If I bought a lottery ticket, and it was one of those $650 million ones that we all, we said, well, Lord, if you give me this number, can you imagine the tide that's going? Now, folks, you haven't been paying tide on your 222 all week long, but you're talking about you got $650 million you're going to pay tide on. Yeah, you know, when we laugh, we know we're telling the truth. I know if I would do that and I won $650 million, either the devil would kill me as, as soon as I read the numbers and I know that I had them, or if he didn't kill me, soon as I bought my house and my plane and everything, then the Lord be coming. I'd be really in big trouble. That car, that house, that plane, those things that we covered sometimes down here, it's temporary. The only thing that we can take to glory, ladies and gentlemen, is our character, our relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that matters. What's ever done for Christ is the only thing that will last. So when I look at this and I see it here and it gives us an inspiration to be faithful to the king, that is the main thing, to be faithful to the king because he has been ever faithful to us. We are the children of God. We're born in this time. He has put on us, watch this church, he has put on us. He has given us, and folks, we know if God gives you something, he's going to give us the power to do it, the Holy Spirit power that is there to give the last warning message to the world. Think about it. The last warning message to 
the world, not from the church, but from the king. That's who we are. The children of God, the saints of the Most High, the redeemed of the Lord, those who have made a covenant with him by sacrifice. We have been sinners, but now we're saved by grace and we are still becoming what we should be. We've given up the pleasures of sin for a season. We are like 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, that chosen generation, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, those peculiar people, the apple of his eye. And the thing that I love most, what the Lord calls us when he talks about his people, he says that we are his darlings. I love that word darling. In the Hebrew, darling means the only one. Loves us with a special, special love. And he proves it not with lift service, but he proved it by laying down his life. In Romans 8, verse 31, 30, 32, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Folks, stop and think about it. God the Father gave us his Holy Son. The most popular Bible text, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave up his Son. It wasn't a fake death. It was a real death. He sent him here on a threefold mission. The first mission that he was sent to do was a mission, a mission of revelation to show us what God is like, that God is love and God is compassion and God is long-suffering and God is forgiving and God is good and God loves us. That's what Jesus portrayed when he came here. He showed us what the attitude and the spirit of heaven was because Satan had lied to mankind and causes us to think of God as some avenging judge. Folks, our very existence, just even for today, comes from a merciful God. It says, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We are alive moving around today because God is merciful. He's not trying to cut us off. He could have cut us off a long time ago. We were born in sin and shaping in iniquity. He could have said, I'm done with the whole lot of you. But he came to save us, sending his son, number one, on a mission of revelation. Number two, on a mission of salvation. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He came to deliver us from death and Satan and sin. He came on a mission of revelation, a mission of salvation, and number three, a mission of reconciliation. Now, folks, this is the part that just gets me when I think about it, and when we think about it, it, it should move us. He came to show us what God is like. He came to die for us, and he could have left it there because he has forgiven us, but then he 
has reconciled us. He has promised, folks, and you know the promises are in the Word of God. He has promised that not only will He redeem us, but it says in the books of Revelation 21 and 22 that after it's all done, done and, and, and Satan and sinners have been removed from the earth, we will live in paradise with Him. Paradise with Him. Watch this now. Planet Earth third planet from the sun, fifth largest in the solar system, the only place where rebellion took place, where his son had been crucified. He is going to have a moving day. Heaven will come down and glory will fill our soul when the throne of the Father and the throne of the Son are placed on little planet Earth. This will be headquarters. He reconciles us. He came unto his own and his own knew him not. His teachers and his priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the ones that called on his blood. But still his mercy endures forever, ladies and gentlemen. And let the redeem of the Lord say so. He is going to take the same place of his shame and in, in, in his death and his humiliation where he was stripped naked, where he was beaten with a cord of nine cat of nine tails where they placed on that royal head a crown of thorns. He's going to wear his royal diadem here. Angels going to have to move here. Glory will be here. Unfallen worlds when they want to come to see the king they're going to have to come here. And guess what? We are royal ambassadors. We are the special crew. We are the ones that he loved, that little one out of 99 that fell, that he went and cocked with his own hands and picked up in his own arms and bled for with his own blood and laid down his own life and rose again in his own power and coming back in his own glory. And not only just coming back, he's going to change you and me if we are faithful. That's what we have. It says in verse 32, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He says, who shall lay charge to his elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemned? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Folks, let me tell you something. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can make it. You can make it because Jesus made the way. Now let's say, we can make it. No, no, we can make it. I want to hear it. Yeah, now you're sounding almost like the Aeolians. Say, we can make it. Because Jesus made a way for us, ladies and gentlemen. We must embrace that no matter what you have done, no matter where you are, even tonight, no matter what sins have mounted up to heaven, Jesus has the power to save like no one else. When you turn in your Bibles to Hebrew chapter 12, and this is one of my favorite texts in the Bible tonight. I'll say that tonight. Because if any of my church members know, they say, now this is Pastor's favorite one tonight. But in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, can you imagine when Jesus was going through all of that and it was real pain, it wasn't easy. He was hurting. There came a time in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was talking to his father when he was praying. He said, Father, if there's another way we can do this thing, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, he had a slight apprehension, but his faith took him through. And folks, our faith has to take us through. You have to know in whom you believe. You have to know who died for you. You have to know who really loves you. You have to know who really cares. You have to know he'll never forsake you. You have to know he'll always make a way. You have to know you have to trust him even when you can't see him, when you can't hear him, when you, can feel, when you cannot feel him. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is knowledge. Knowledge to know that he is and that he's able and he's available and he never sleeps and he never slumbers and he's not like us. He's not hard. He's not prejudiced. He's not arrogant. He's not revengeful. He's God for the joy that was set before him. Folks, I can only imagine this. When Jesus was on that cross and he was dying and the pain was there racking his own body and Sister White says in the Desire of Ages that the greatest pain physically was when he was put into the, the cross, when it was dropped down in the hole and he was jarred. But they said the mental anguish of being separated from his father was even greater. The mental anguish was greater than the physical pain. But in all of that, he had joy. Why did he have joy? Because he could look down the annuals of time and he could look back in the future, up into the future, because it's all the same to him. And he could see you and you and you and you and everyone here and those who accepted him. He could see us standing in white robes with crowns on our heads and harps on our hands. He could see us in that perfect square waiting for us to receive our new name and that stone that Revelation says that he'll put in his hand. He could see us sitting at the welcome table and he's serving us by himself, bringing us a little bit of this and bringing us a little bit of that. And I know the favorite fruit that's on the tree of life is heavenly mangoes. He's going to bring us that for dessert. And we're going to be in God's kingdom and we're going to shout and sing hallelujah. That's what he was singing when he was there on the cross in his mind and his heart. He was singing that sinner who everybody else said was out and done and it was all over and there was no hope. He was seeing that boy come home. He was seeing that girl come back. He was seeing that family come together. He was seeing that drug addict clean. He was seeing that alcoholic dry. He was seeing that whoremonger holy. He was seeing you. He was seeing me. He was seeing that liar tell the truth. He was seeing all those harlots not working for man but working for Jesus. He was seeing his redemption once again made brand new with perfect bodies, with perfect peace, with perfect vision, with perfect everything like he gave it to Adam and Eve. That's the joy that he was seeing. It's just up to us to claim it. Claim it. Start living it. Let go of the sin that's been so easily besetting you, holding you back. Tell that man you can't come back here anymore. Tell that girl you better find somebody else to supply your financial needs. Tell them that you are now living for the master. Put away that alcohol, those drugs, those things that have been holding you back that you couldn't give Jesus 100%. He's given us 100%. 
That's what it says here. For the joy that was set before him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the course, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, and considered him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in a way. When you think it was hard, think about what Jesus went through. One writer says, Roy Allen Anderson, in his book, Unfolding the Revelation, he said he wore a crown of thorns for our unholy thoughts. His hands were nailed to the cross for our misdeeds. His feet were pierced with Roman spikes where we have walked in paths of unrighteousness. And his side was pierced with a Roman spear for all of our unholy affections. With his stripes, we are healed. He did that for us. Today, ladies and gentlemen, when we think about our Jesus and what he has done for us, when we understand those things that he laid out for us, there's no one that can condemn us. Satan himself can say what he wants, but the Lord will say, I rebuke you because this man, this woman, this boy or girl has accepted me. And my father has accepted the covenant, the relationship that I have with him. And they are forgiven. They are made clean. They are covered by the blood. They shall be with me. And that's our promise. And when we understand that, when Jesus makes it so plain, it says in verse 35, after we understand that, it says, what or who shall separate us from the love of God? What will do it? It says, will tribulation separate us? It can't. Jesus said, be of good cheer. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This thing is a done deal. It says, will distress separate you from the love of God? Distress, the word here in the Greek means anguish of being squeezed into a narrow place. Folks, God can work in a narrow place and he can work in a wide place. Children of Israel were in a narrow place. They couldn't go anywhere. You know the story, no time now. The ocean was there, Red Sea was there, the mountains on the other side, and here you have the armies of Egypt coming. But folks, you ought to know, and if you don't know it, you've seen it, go back, review your life. When there's no way God opens doors that are not even there. He was the first automatic door opener. Come on, you ought to say amen. Opens up doors where there's no doors. Somebody said if Jesus tells you to step off a mountain, either there'll be a celestial bridge there or he'll help you to fly. But just trust him. He's able. It says, will persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or the sword, will they separate you? They can't. It says, all is written for thy sake. We are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But he says, no, in all these things, all these hardships of life, it says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Folks, a conqueror is a person who conquers, who vanquishes his enemy or foe. Our enemy is the devil. And if we were on our own, he would beat us down so fast, we wouldn't know where we came from. But we don't go in our strength, ladies and gentlemen. 
We are hiding behind the bloodstained banner. We are standing behind our big brother. We are going forward in his name, and he has given us, folks, he has given us all power over Satan and sickness and serpents and scorpions. That's in the book through the power of the Holy Ghost. With the power of prayer, he sees the saints of God on his knees. The devil trembles. So we need to pray more. We need to read more. We need to be encouraged more. We need to have more faith, not to just do little things, but to do big things, to do magnificent things, because this is the time of spiritual greatness. We're more than conquerors. We will conquer the enemy. The victory is already ours. It's not something you have to manufacture. You don't have to make a battle plan except in the battle plan to be under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Tonight, in closing my last text, I want you to see what victory in Jesus will give us. Not only will have us standing on the sea of glass, with harps in our hands and, and palms in our hands singing glory. But when we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says in verse 51, even if you die, you're still a victor. It says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Folks, our body are going to one day catch up with our minds. Our spiritual renewed minds, our bodies are going to catch up with. Right now, there are some of our saints who have been here many years. They can't move like they used to. They have all kinds of uh, replacement parts. You know, we're, we're like many bionic people. Got hearts, livers, kidneys, somebody's heart, liver, kidney. Plastic knees, metal knees, hips. Now, I'm not even going to look at anybody when I say extensions in our hair. Glasses in our eyes, mouth more porcelain than ivory. Come on now. But God has something for us. Brand new bodies at kids. And it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible have put on incorruption, and this mortal have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in, in victory. Folks, death is subject to him, and it will be subject to us. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, Tonight, there's somebody sitting here who has been enjoying these meetings night after night, day after day, morning after morning, and you came here and you have been tiltering back and forth in your spiritual mindset. You came here asking God to do something for you, to help you, to give you strength. Tonight is a night where we're asking you if you desire the power of the Holy Spirit to make you a full conqueror. You want to lay everything down on the altar to Jesus Christ. Won't you stand? at this time our praise team is going to give us something to think about before we finish this appeal 
because I know some of you are under her heavy, heavy burdens. Some of us, we don't know what we're going to face when we go back down the mountain. Some of us have homes where it's, it's, it's pure hell. Some of us are in marriages that are about to crumble. Some of us have children that we've done everything we could do, but, but they're out there. Some of us have secret sins that we have hidden in our closet. Nobody knows, but God knows. And because God knows, you're not comfortable. Even though you're in a position of trust and respect, and people, if they knew about it, they would be horrified. That's a heavy burden. But folks, if Jesus sets you free, if Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed.
just want to talk to you just a few minutes in the name of the king. He's touched us, folks. He's touched us even here. You can feel his spirit in this place, even though faith is not a feeling. And even now, his spirit is moving over this congregation and over this pulpit. And he's bringing to our minds all the things that he has done for us that shows how much he loves us and how much he wants us in glory with him. And tonight he's saying to someone here, you need me to touch you, to release you, to release you from anger, to release you from passion, to release you from a sin that has held you in captivity that nobody even knows. And he asked me to ask you, do you want him to touch you and release you even now? If your answer is yes, just raise your hand. Nobody needs to know what it is. Just raise your hand. Our hands are lifted up to him, the one who died on Calvary. You see, without Jesus, we can do nothing. But with Jesus, we can do all things. There's somebody here right now. Your heart is breaking. You are so thankful for a loving Savior who died on Calvary for you. And you appreciate that he has given you time and time and time chances to get your life right and you are not satisfied you are not satisfied with just raising your hand because you feel a rush of his peace on you right now you want to come out in this congregation and come right down here in the front and say thank you Jesus for doing what you have done for me you have worked in my life you have done what you could do and I accept you and I'm going from this point on never looking back. If there's someone like that right now, just come on down right now where you are. Heaven is watching. Heaven is looking. Heaven is blessing. Angels are moving. They're whispering in your ears. They're telling you here is the time. Salvation is near. Grasp on to him. Don't let him go. His love is everlasting. His love is sure. His love is pure. Just come down. Balcony or not, we're not going to take much more time, but this is important, folks, because somebody's getting their life right. We're not talking about baptism. We're talking about right now. You want to be released for what has been holding you back. You want the power, and you feel him working on you right now and you're saying thank you Jesus for touching me praise team singing again sing that chorus right now come on right now we're going to ask our president to come up we're going to ask him to pray for us after we come down but right now just come on down and if you can't get out of the house then just raise your hand and wave your hand everyone say pass me not oh gentle savior right now he's able he's willing he's available to you he's available to me he's a mighty mighty good God down right now come on now you're feeling touching you come on down get in the aisles come on down press together church press together press together press together press together we're on our way to the Canaan land church on our way to the Canaan land the way has been paved hard but Jesus has walked before us and we will get to that destination we just have to be faithful we have to be true we have to be honest touch you if you want to be touched. You know, when I look at all of the different things that is accounted about Jesus in the Bible, the thing that gives me the most chills 
is that woman who had the issue of blood. She tried to get to Jesus, it says, in Desire of Ages, that night when they opened up the roof and set him down. They set down the, the cripple, and she couldn't get in for the press. And it says when Jesus was leaving, she was so exhausted, so weak from that issue of blood for 12 years that she couldn't even walk anymore. She was at the end of her rope, and she said, I can't get to the master. But guess what? It says in Desire of Ages that Jesus knew her faith and he knew her plight. And it says he walked in the area near her. See, Jesus knows where we are, church. He walked in the area near her. Well, all she had to do is just reach out and touch the hem of his garment. And when she touched him, as soon as she felt him, she felt the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Godhead, the power of life, rejuvenation. She felt it. And she was just going to slip away. And then Jesus said, somebody touched me. And Peter and the crew, you know, they didn't have a clue. Lord, and all of this crowd, he said, no, somebody touched me special. Virtue has gone from me. And he turned to her, and she told her story. Jesus wasn't trying to embarrass her. He was just trying to let us know tonight that if you just reach out, you're not reaching far. He's already there. He's already there for you to be able to be rejuvenated, to be revived, to be forgiven, to know that you are loved. That's what he does. He's the Savior. He's the Deliverer. He's God. Elder, I'm going to ask our president to pray for us to shepherd up this great conference. Father God, tonight we've felt your touch. Yes, my Lord. Tonight we've heard your voice speaking to every one of us. And we thank you that you are a God who knows exactly where we are. And you pass by near us mm. so that we can touch you. Oh, Father God, we thank you for those who've come forward tonight. We don't know of their story. But thank you that you are a reader of hearts. Yes. Thank you that you understand their the situation and their circumstance. Father God, tonight some have come indicating that they want to step away from that person who's been holding them back for so long. Some have come pledging that uh, they will never turn back from following you. We recognize tonight, Father, that there is nothing more important in life than life itself. Yes. And so, Father, we pray that you will bless all those have come, that you will strengthen their resolve, that they will never turn back. Yes. Whatever the obstacle, whatever the hurdle that's uh, been in their way, give to them the capacity by your grace to overcome. Oh, Father God, we thank you that your blessing is falling down on every one of us tonight. We pray that your mercy and your grace will continue to uh, be poured out on us in this place. And we will continue to give you the honor, the glory, the praise because you are worthy. Oh, Lord God, hear us and bless us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen. Amen. 